Our scripture passage today is John 16, verses 5 to 7, where Jesus said, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Lord. <laughs> Visitors were laughing at whose turn it was to do that, not at the word of the Lord. Though some of it's funny. Have you read Esther in a while? Esther's funny. So it's dangerous and crazy also. Anyway, that's what I'm preaching on this morning. Jesus sent the Spirit. And this isn't the beginning of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, we see the Spirit um, regularly fill people for different words and acts. Um, In my opinion and in my experience, there are Christian traditions that have a lot of really helpful and good things to say, pun intended, about the Holy Spirit. And they're quiet. And then there's some other Christian traditions that actually say some things that are either in serious error or would lead us away from Jesus, and they tend to be a little more loud. And um, we, it, it, the reason I say that is because there's a tension, I believe, that the scriptures and church tradition ask us to live in. So on the one hand, some Christians would say that um, you're either a lesser Christian or not a Christian if you don't have a very, very, very specific experience with the Holy Spirit. And that is either very problematically wrong or actually leading people away from the true Jesus. At the same time, there are Christians, and they don't say this, but they imply it. It really doesn't matter if you've had a warmth of heart or an experience with and of the Holy Spirit. Like, that part's not important. It's important that you understand some things and do some things and go about it. And that is just as, if not more, problematic. Jesus sent the Spirit because it is better than having him in his incarnated self. He says that to the disciples in chapter 16, verse 29, which is the moment where I realize I do not have a Bible. Would someone near the back grab me a Bible or hand me a Bible? Thank you, Michael. We got it, Corey. (laughs) How in the world do I not have a Bible? I actually know how, and it's a terrible story that has nothing to do with the point, but in chapter 16, he's um, the disciples begin to understand, and I love this because chapters 14, 15, and 16 of John, we learn some of the most important things about Jesus. We get so much clarity about who he is and the mission and the mission that he's giving to the disciples, wherein they become apostles. And towards the end of chapter 16, the disciples say, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things 
and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. This is the beginning of the mission for the disciples. This is the beginning of when they change from being the disciples to being the apostles. And Jesus says to them, it's better that I go. This section of John is all about God as trustworthy father. Jesus, in that current moment, is friends to the disciples, but he's teaching them about who he's going to be after he first ascends into heaven and then after they receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And he speaks regularly about the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, then Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, advocating for us, interceding for us. And I want to read the story of Pentecost because um, it's singularly important. Herman Bavink likens the moment of Pentecost in importance to the creation of the world and to the incarnation of Jesus. This is not a mediumly or insignificant story in the scriptures. I'm reading from Sally Lloyd-Jones. And part of the reason I like this is because she's an incredibly clear writer. And the other reason is in her recollection of, of Acts and the story of Pentecost, she jumps back into John 15 to inform us about what happened at Pentecost. Jesus' friends and helpers huddled together in a stuffy upstairs room. Even though it was sunny outside, the shutters were closed. The door was locked. Wait in Jerusalem, Jesus had told them. I'm going to send you a special present. God's power is going to come into you. God's Holy Spirit is coming. So here they were waiting. Actually, mostly what they were doing was just being scared and hiding. You can't blame them. Their best friend had left. The important people and leaders were after them. And Jesus had given them a job they didn't know how to do. As they waited, they were praying and remembering. Remembering how from the beginning, God had been working out his secret rescue plan. Suddenly, a strong wind filled the room, whistling through the walls, rustling the straw on the floor. And there, on everyone's heads... Shining in the gloom were flickering flames, fire that didn't hurt or burn, and something more. Inside, in their hearts, they felt a strange heat, almost as if all the coldness and hardness were melting away, as if their broken hearts were mending, and God was giving them brand new hearts, hearts that could work properly. How it happened, they didn't know. But they knew God's power had struck their hearts ablaze, and Jesus himself was coming to live inside them. They had seen Jesus go away, but now he was closer than he had ever been inside their hearts. And this time, nothing could ever separate them. Jesus would always be there with them, loving them, whispering the promise that would get rid of the poison and the terrible lie and the sickness in their hearts. God's wonderful promise to them, you are my child and I love you. Make your home in me as I make my home in you, Jesus had said. Could it be? Heaven was coming into their hearts. They threw open the shutters. Sunlight flooded the room as love had flooded their hearts, and the little room was filled with happy noises, dancing feet, singing, laughing. They unlocked the door and surged out into the streets as if they had never been afraid. Peter spoke in a loud voice so everyone could hear, Jesus died for you, he said, because he loves you. But God made him alive again. He has rescued you. People stopped and listened. The words sank down deep into their hearts and worked like a medicine that makes you well, like the antidote to a deadly poison, like a kiss that wakes you from a deep sleep. Stop running away from God, Peter said. Run to him instead so he can love you and make you free. 
And Peter told them the wonderful story of God's love, God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, how Jesus had come, all that had happened. There were lots of people from faraway countries in Jerusalem. They couldn't speak the same language, but as they listened to Peter, everyone could understand what he was saying in their own languages. Many people believed and became Jesus' new friends and helpers. And the wonderful news of Jesus spread like sparks from a fire to villages, towns, cities. Every day, more and more people believed. And so it was that the family of God's children, his special people, grew. One man was watching. I'll stop this, Saul said. But this was God's plan, and nothing in all the world would ever be able to stop it. Jesus sent the Spirit to indwell. And the Spirit has always existed because the Spirit is God, and we see when we read the Old Testament the Spirit and we hear about God filling with the Spirit, here's what's different. Now, after Pentecost, the Spirit doesn't leave. Which is really good news. This was predicted in Ezekiel chapter 39. Sal Ella Jones is referencing Ezekiel chapter 36 to describe Jesus renewing our hearts. It's predicted in Joel chapter 2 verse 28. It's predicted in Isaiah chapter 44 verse 3. And I don't tell you that so that you know that I did some homework. I tell you that because the Bible is trustworthy and true. The Holy Spirit... If you are a follower of Christ, what the Holy Spirit is doing right now is giving you an ever-increasing, integrated confidence in God and his gospel and how to live in light of who he is and what his gospel teaches us. Right now, that's what the Holy Spirit does in every follower of Christ. Gives an ever-increasing, integrated confidence because it's not only your mind that needs to be confident. It's your emotions that have a lot to do with how we react to people or don't. It has to do with the part of us that transcends that even. What, what the Bible calls the heart is your motivational, your, your uh, center of motivation is the quickest way to describe what the Bible means in the heart. Your whole heart integrated with your mind, ever increasingly confident in who God is and how to live in light of who he is. If you read John 14 and 15 and 16, one of the more interesting parts of this, because it doesn't sound so internal as what I'm talking about, is that proof of the Holy Spirit in our lives is joyful obedience. And the reason I say joyful is it's relatively easy for somebody up here in my position to talk to you about obedience in such a way that you get the impression that you obey in order to get God to love you or care. And it's not that at all. It's abiding in him frees us into obedience because we trust him that his way is good and our natural way not so good. In chapter 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Pentecost was a new, a new and unique and predicted event that happened and changed the world forever. And for you and me, taking Jesus' teaching about himself, the Father, and our response to that in John 14 through 16, 
17 also, but that's the high priestly prayer, means that we have the Spirit and the Spirit indwells us, which I've already defined twice. And what that looks like from the one who is trying to, at the time, defeat the disciples is this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That is what the indwelling spirit speaks to our new hearts. I want to get back to my notes and not to the Lord bless you and keep you, though that's important. It's a lovely scripture from number six. Um, We are at Jesus sent the spirit to indwell comfort. Thanks. Way to go, Liam. No idea. How, that's, that's a new one. Let's blame the iPad. You don't want me to blame it now? Jesus sent the Spirit to indwell and to comfort us. And the way that the Spirit comforts us is not to remove what has created the discomfort. Because that is not as good as coming alongside supporting and comforting us in the midst of our pain and disorientation. And if you're experiencing acute pain right now, you don't believe me, but you know what I'm talking about. If our pain were removed, be it literal or metaphorical, the Spirit's comfort would, we would just turn to something else. It would be a diversion. One of the interesting proofs of all of this and especially the comfort that the Holy Spirit gives, the disciples are so heartbroken in the end of the Gospels. But if you read the book of Acts, they're so suddenly full of joy and sense of mission. They still had things to learn. It's not like they had it all figured out. They needed to study the Old Testament to fully understand who Jesus was. Peter and Paul got into it. James as well, Jesus' brother. But they're done grieving, not because they weren't sad about Jesus, but because they received the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I was talking years ago with a friend, and we were talking about relationships, and we were talking about anxiety, and we were talking about family, and this person uh, knows that I'm a Christian, and at times identified as, at that time, I think identified as a Christian. I actually don't remember. And as we were talking about anxiety, I said, have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to comfort you in that? It's not a magic pill. It's not, I just, but what have you prayed about that? My friend said, no. So I changed the subject (laughs) because it made me so sad. And I know some of you do not need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You have always known the future and you've always been right. But some of us desperately need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I know some of you have a job that you love and it takes nothing from your brain and you never conflict with your coworkers. But others of us need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
I know you don't have any difficult people in your life. That's the funniest of the three. <laughs> you guys have just given up. Okay, it's fine. But the rest of us desperately need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Have you asked? You cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you? Again and again and again and again. I hope that you do. And it is not a magic pill. And it's not quick most of the time. But it is a promise that we receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit continues to heal and support and comfort us and guide us. Jesus sent the Spirit to indwell and to comfort and to guide into what? Righteousness. Which, when I say righteousness, I wonder if anyone even uses the word anymore. It feels like a word that we never hear anymore. Perhaps because our culture is so far gone from it, though there is a lot that is beautiful and noble and good about every culture. It just sounds like an odd word, but what, and what is righteousness? Life. Chapter 14, verse 19. Because I live, you also will live. That's the promise. And this is not bios. We talk about this a lot because it's in the scriptures a lot, like biology, right? Study of living things. This is zoe. This is the flourishing life that's available through trusting Jesus. And he's talking about decisions. Fleeing from unrighteousness, which is death. Chapter 16 of John, verses 8 through 10. I don't know how you're tempted. Picture a, a tough relative, preferably one not sitting right next to you. What tempts you when you're having a bad moment with them? I may or may not be picturing one of my aunts. Are you tempted to silence when words could be loving and helpful? Tempted to resentment? Do you just pay them back immediately? Do you speed up and get arrogant? I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians 13, which was not written to help you with your tough relative. It was written to help that Corinthian church be unified, especially as it relates to how they treat one another. But you remember it, right? It gives the positive and, the neg and negative aspects of love, a definition by description. Love is patient and kind. It is not rude or arrogant. I don't know how you're tempted. The Holy Spirit is indwelling us and comforting us because that's who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does and to guide us away from sin. Herman Bovink says that the work of the Holy Spirit is the gradual and steady maturing of the kingdom of God. And that's already happening in you, but you get to participate with it and perhaps even speed it up. Do any of you ever correct your spouse? Yes, I knew you didn't, but... Is it possible that you could correct one another in a way that would be easier for them to receive? Is it possible? Not, do not elbow each other right now. <laughs> That's what the Holy Spirit is doing and we get to participate with it in doing also. And it's way bigger than that in terms of sin and righteousness and unrighteousness, but can't we all get a little bit of help? Those of you that are single, this works just as importantly with your parents, siblings, friends, 
children, co-workers. There are people in our life that God has called us to love and we desperately need the Holy Spirit, which is great because we have it. And the Holy Spirit is guiding us away from unrighteousness, which are choices of death, towards righteousness, which are choices of life, and look like love, growing in patience and kindness, away from rudeness, arrogance. Jesus sent the Spirit to indwell, comfort, and guide because that's who he is and who the Spirit is. He says in chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I believe is a description of the Holy Spirit's work in the disciples and then for us by extension. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Would you pray with me? Father, we trust you. As our Father, would you help us to trust you? Jesus, we are so thankful for you teaching us about yourself and your work and how it is the only thing that will cleanse our hearts. For the one who is considering your gospel, Jesus, would you give them clarity, conversation, and prayer about that decision. Holy Spirit, we are so thankful that we have you and that you will never leave. Much, much causes us anxiety, Holy Spirit, and we ask that we would cast it on you again and again and again and receive the comfort and guidance of your Holy Spirit. Amen.